This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 12, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. When Justin Amash departed from the Republican Party last week, one of the biggest costs, according to the American conservative editor Jim Antle, is the continued fracturing of the anti-war right. We spoke earlier this week. Justin Amash took uh, the 4th of July, Independence Day, the holiday, in order to make an announcement that well, he was departing from the Republican Party. And it's, I think it's worth sort of characterizing the events that led up to this. He has been for a long time not treated particularly well by his fellow Republicans. That's definitely true. And in many cases, the, the mistreatment has stemmed from his desire to hold Republicans to their stated values, uh, to the, the commitments that they've made in their campaigns and in their platforms and uh, you know the, the, the promises of smaller government balanced budgets, uh, sustainable long-term debt. Uh, those are things Republicans have campaigned on. Uh, you know, Amash initially uh, was, was starting to get tossed off of committees before really even Paul Ryan was, was speaker when he was starting to say that some of the, the budgets, the Ryan budgets were not necessarily as fiscally responsible as was advertised. And, and those committee votes uh, led to him uh, losing some some key assignments, so you know this this is not a new thing that attempting to uh, hold Republicans to their standards of of uh, supposed standards of constitutionalism and and, and fiscal restraint uh, has led to bad things uh, politically uh, for the congressman, and clearly uh, this was building up for quite some time. So, with specific respect to members of Congress, not sort of playing ball, right? this should be expected. That is, any given uh, party wants to hold on to its power and is probably willing to give up in t- a, a lot in terms of uh, principle in order to continue to maintain that hold on power. I think that's true. I think the the, the big thing that that I don't know that the, the the I mean Amash talks a lot about partisanship and political polarization and factionalism, and it's certainly true that those are are are, are often malign influences, and the founders warned against them. But one thing that I'm not sure that the founders had anticipated uh, to, to quite the degree uh, that we've seen in, in recent years is the degree to which the, the legislative branch would not safeguard its own constitutional prerogatives. Now, some of that is due to partisanship in that we see uh, the, the legislature is much more willing to act as a check on the executive branch when those two branches are controlled by different parties. But some of it is just uh, pure uh, a political cowardice. Uh, certainly, there's been very little done on the war powers front, uh, even when we've had Republican presidents and Democratic congresses. Uh, you know, Yemen, I, I think, is a recent and notable exception to that trend and an encouraging one. But in general, Congress has has generally has has been content to sit back and let pr- the president wage war and to then decide to come in with various non-binding resolutions and critique how those wars are being conducted if they ever become unpopular. Now, it's I think it's worth noting that, that Congress hasn't exactly been uh, sitting back and allowing the president to wage war. They have actively uh, tried to stymie efforts to end multiple wars. Yes, that's absolutely true. I mean, we've seen in the Senate 
uh, which is actually controlled by the same party uh, as as the White House, uh, them I- express you know their sense, their 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 very their their uh, sort of rebuke the president for attempting to uh, wind down a war in Afghanistan that has now lasted longer than World War II, uh, and to end a war in Syria that Congress never authorized in the first place. So here they, they are reprimanding the president for take for ex, for not wanting to exercise powers that the constitution actually delegates to them so that that's that's a very uh bizarre and and that can't even really be explained by partisanship that is a combination of 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 sort of hawkish ideology and congressional abdication of their legitimate war powers your concern is about war powers specifically that that somebody who has uh, tried to hold his own party accountable uh, tried to uh, uh, insist that uh, Congress uh, reclaim its prerogatives with respect to war what does that mean for anti-war conservatives what does that mean for libertarians who are generally more skeptical of uh, military action to begin with well, I think it, it shows the, the limits to what you can do, uh, one, when you don't have within your own administration and the executive branch, uh, people who are aligned with you on these issues. So if you, uh, if you campaign on ending wars or uh, being more reluctant to use military force, especially in the Middle East, uh, and, and then you don't hire a team uh, that is uh, in in agreement with that. If you bring in uh, John Bolton and the George W. Bush uh, B team, uh, you're you're just not going to be able to to implement these things very successfully. And I don't think President Trump uh, took any of that into account when he was putting together his cabinet and his national security team. But I think, uh, secondly, the way the system is designed is for Congress. Uh, to, to really be deciding when we enter into a state of war uh, and to, to really have a, a far greater role in regulating all of this. And even when uh, you see a different party in control, even when you have the same party in control, it doesn't seem to matter what the partisan composition of Congress is. There doesn't seem to be any political incentive, again, with this, with the significant exception of, of Yemen, which I do think uh, the, the Yemen resolution was encouraging. But in, in general, uh, no matter what the partisan composition of Congress is, there is a reticence uh, to reign in the executive. Uh, you know, we, we have, depending on your count, anywhere from, you know, seven to nine, seven to ten presidential wars going on right now. And if you attempt to, to end one of them, uh, you actually get blowback from Congress uh, rather than Congress jumping in and saying, yes, that's right. Uh, we never voted to authorize that. This is our constitutional power. Uh, let's get out of there. Uh, it ought to be better politics for uh, Democrats than Republicans, at least at, at, at this stage, to be openly uh, anti-war, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Tulsi Gabbard seem to be candidates more more than uh, Republicans are at least willing to give the president a little bit of credit for trying to right. end wars. And, but it, it, it's so it's so strange to think that uh, the president's own party would would in general be the ones standing up to him when he wants to. Uh, 
end a costly and unpopular error. It is. And it, it is noteworthy, I think, that all of the Democrats in the Senate with 2020 ambitions, all of them who have declared candidacies for the for the Democratic presidential nomination, they all voted in effect with the president on this resolution where all but four members of the president's own party were saying, hey, uh, you know, it's really dangerous to, to not be fighting those wars. So uh, cut out all this talk about, about getting out. So with Justin Amash out as uh, a uh, Republican, you know, it, it seems that libertarians are really taking the blame for a lot of things right now. Uh, if you if you look across the political spectrum, it seems that uh, from the way that Tucker Carlson talks about uh, libertarians to uh, the way I think a lot more even mainstream Republicans think about trade these days. Uh, Ronald Reagan once said, you know, the heart and soul of conservatism is libertarianism. And that certainly, at least if you look at mainline, self-described conservatives, that's not really that true anymore. Yeah. I mean, in addition to to trade, there was also this Hill-Harris poll that showed in 19 different categories of federal spending, uh, rank-and-file Republicans didn't want to cut any of those uh, spending items. I mean, it used to be the case that, that maybe, uh, you know, they'd want to They'd want to spend a lot of money on defense and law enforcement and things like that, but on uh, Democratic budget priorities, they'd be willing to cut them. Well, in this particular survey, uh, that wasn't the case. So, yeah, I think you are seeing a sense in which a a lot of uh, social conservatives feel shortchanged based on on the the votes that they provide to the Republican Electoral Coalition versus uh, the political dividends that they they feel that they've reaped, or at least the policy outcomes that they that they feel have been achieved. But, you know, I, I look at this and, and, and I see in particular the infighting uh, between libertarians and populists as being uh, something that, that that's broadly negative for the anti-war right. I mean, anti-war conservatives, if you look back uh, all the way to the, to the Iraq war, uh, to the present, have, have tended to come from one of two camps. They're sort of either uh, the, the libertarian or libertarian-leaning conservatives who are, who are most skeptical of, of military intervention uh, for the obvious fact that war is a, a government program. And you, you have the populists, the sort of successors of, of Pat Buchanan, who, who, who tend to think that being the policeman of the world uh, is, is not a good investment for the United States and that they would like to see the United States as a republic and not an empire or a quasi-imperial power. These two factions really make up the bulk of the anti-war right. And while it's foreign policy isn't the area where they're coming to blows, and in fact, uh, foreign policy is the area where I think we they have their greatest opportunities. Uh, these domestic policy differences have become more important, I think, uh, in the Trump era than they were in the Bush era, and it really has people who are who are otherwise aligned on these foreign policy issues. I mean, Tucker Carlson and the Kochs are very much singing from the same sh- song sheet when it comes to something like bombing Iran, but when it it, it comes to uh, you know how we how we structure the tax code, uh, how much we should cut government spending, uh, maybe even a little bit on criminal justice reform. You're starting to see some real differences there. 
Jim Antle is editor-in-chief of the American Conservative. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.